in verse 35. Now, um, this is, uh, today is called Vision Sunday. Uh, every year at this time, I try to share with you a set of goals for us to reach as a church. Uh, a vision. I haven't gotten a vision from God. I just read my Bible and I look at the world and I go, boy, does this world need the gospel. So I look at what needs to be done next year and I look at who should be doing it. The Apostle Paul actually was able to, uh, uh, let me step back here. The Apostle Paul was able to look ahead and he saw this century, this year, this month, this church. Basically, what you're going to find here in verse 35, he said, ladies and gentlemen, don't just come and sit in church. He said, follow my example, come and serve. When Paul got saved, he got busy. Uh, as, as, as aggressive as he was against the gospel, as much as he wanted to destroy the name of Jesus Christ, the moment he got saved, he took that same energy and he put it into getting the gospel out and to getting people saved. What he, what he used to do to, to punish and to hurt and to uh, chase after and hunt down Christians, now he put that same energy into reaching the lost and getting them saved. Our call is to get busy serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to be servants. And there is a blessedness that I want you to see. Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. Watch this. We will go through these verses in a few minutes, but this is where we're going. Verse 35, Paul says, I, the Apostle Paul says, I have showed you all things. I've been an example to you in every way. How that's so laboring, not so sitting. Remember, the book of Acts is a book of activity. It is a book of things to do that's so laboring, you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to what? Say it with me. Yeah. To give than to receive. Now, we had a great year this last year, in spite of a lot of obstacles. I mean, our Patrick's Day parade was awesome. Uh, we had over 60 of us walking in the Ballantyne Parade, in spite of the fact the guy with the horse was a problem, but we had a great time. Men's camp was, again, we had 68 men in a facility that only held 42. <laughs> and, and we said, we were told, you could push up to 44, 45. Well, we pushed it, we had 68. Some people came and went, whatever, but we had 68 hungry men. Uh, we, uh, we had our, that's our youth camp this year. Uh, Victory Youth Camp, we had two saved, and truly, the teens were absolutely uh, uh, thoroughly encouraged and transformed, I believe. Our children's Bible, oh, we had um, um, uh, four believers baptized, and um, uh, then we had our Bible camp, our summer children's Bible camp, that was just the best ever. <laughs> it was excellent. It was right in the middle of the summer, the hottest time, and we had a wild western theme. And we had um, five of those kids saved. Folks, uh, churches back up. I mean, after COVID, we've got uh, good numbers. We're approaching 100 on, on uh, uh, every Sunday. It's been a good year. Um, but the question is that I got to ask you is, do you even know how it all gets done? Do you even think about how do all these things take place? Well, I'll tell you what most people think. Most people, I mean, you do it. You pass by and you see a church building. People just believe that churches just magically appear. They don't know how it got there. They don't know who started it. They usually don't know who maintains it. They really don't care. 
they imagine the pastor opens up a dusty old notebook and just reads out something that was written a long time ago. How do you think this church gets cleaned every week? You ever wondered that? I wonder. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do the hymnals get put back on every chair in place? A little gremlin walks around. Maybe a little elf or a, I don't know, a leprechaun. What do you think? How do all the toilets get cleaned here? That's what the problem is. A lot of people expect that people get saved just automatically. People just find their way into church already saved and already theological. They just expect that Sunday school teachers appear out of nowhere, just come from behind the curtain. They just expect the coffee cups to magically be washed. All the chairs organized, all the hymnals in place. They expect the music to be well rehearsed. Oh, yes. Entertaining and convicting at the same time. People seem to imagine that the church has no bills. And the pastor just preaches for free. They believe that prayer is something only certain very religious people do. And that soul winning is something only extreme religious zealots do. Well, the truth is this. For most people, church is only enjoyed if it's something that doesn't bother them. If it's just there. But the truth is we need to be bothered. We need this church to be a place where we serve the Lord in and through. I don't mind being bothered. I don't mind. I actually want to be made uncomfortable because not only do we need this church, Balancholic needs this church. Revelation chapter 4. Go to Revelation chapter 4. We'll come back to Acts in just a moment, so you can hold that place. But Revelation, one quick scripture, Revelation chapter 4. We were created for God's pleasure, not he for ours. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Revelation 4, 11. Up in heaven, this is what they're saying. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive all the glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure, not mine, not yours. Say, have you had a bad day? I understand. I have compassion. I have empathy. I understand that. But it's not about you and me. For thy pleasure they are and were created. In other words, we were designed to serve the Lord, not to serve our bellies. We were saved to love one another, not just our families. Listen, it's hard enough to get people to love, love their families, get along with their families, but that's not the goal. Jesus said, my commandment, my greatest commandment to you Christians is to love one another. That's a hard job. And we were, we are all called to reach the world with the gospel. Every Christian here, if you're saved, you're commanded by the word of God to speak up, to stand forth, declare the saving gospel. The gospel that saved you needs to save someone else. We were saved to serve the Lord. One more scripture, 1 Thessalonians. If you're at Revelation, come back about halfway to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. In verse 9, we were saved to serve the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter 1, and I, I want to express something maybe you haven't understood. But you see, when you got saved, God gave you everything. But then he says, I need you to do something because there are people who don't have anything. 
You know, if you inherit a lot of money, don't you think you ought to be responsible for that money and help somebody else who doesn't have anything? I mean, we expect that. But if you've got eternal life, don't you think God would ask you to take that gift and give it to somebody else and transfer it on? All right. So we're talking about a service that, man, how can I not serve the Lord? How can it be that I would be so selfish that I would never make a sacrifice for someone else to know the gospel? First Thessalonians chapter 1, just down there in verse 9, Paul writes to the church there. He says, for they, the other cities around you, they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. He's basically saying, they know the influence we had on you and how ye turned to God from idols. Don't think of just little statues, but money, um, your social media and your popularity. You've turned to God from idols. Why? To serve the living and true God. We were saved to serve the Lord. So what did Paul see ahead? Go back to Acts chapter 20. Now, we're kind of going backwards. I'm not going verse by verse through the book of Acts that we're at. We're in chapter 26 now, but um, I'm going back a little bit just to give you vision of what Paul saw ahead that we need to see. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. There's a lot more I could say, but I just want to be short and sweet this morning. It may be helpful for you to have the same view. You know, I um, mean, I've... I've Sat somewhere and I said, you see that, that bright thing right there? That's Jupiter. Somebody says, well, where, where's Jupiter? I said, that over there, that's Mars. And over there, that's Saturn. Up there, that's, that's the star Arcturus and all that stuff. And, and the, you, you, I'm, I'm just trying to show them there's, there's, there's a universe out there, and they're awesome to look at. And Paul's kind of the same way. I'm trying to get you to see something that we need to see that our eyes are closed to because of this world. And these are just a few of the things, but starting back in verse 28, Acts 20, 28, Paul starts off and he says, take heed, therefore. Take heed means take care unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. You know, it's one thing, gentlemen, when you sit down and you fix yourself a sandwich. It's another thing when your wife sits and, and stands in front of that stove for an hour and a half at Christmas or two or three or four hours and feeds 15 people. It takes a lot of work, doesn't it? To feed the church of God. Keep going, which he hath purchased with his own blood. You see, Jesus purchased our redemption, didn't he? He paid for it all. He gave us forgiveness. He pardoned our sin at the expense of his death on the cross. But once we've accepted that salvation that gift of God there's a lot of work to do there's a lot of leading feeding protecting warning visiting rebuking encouraging of Christ's flock there's a lot of work so when he's writing he's writing not just to now this was written to the pastors of the church in, in Ephesus he's writing out in the future to us saying hey what do I see ahead? I say, there's a lot of work that will always be on us feeding the church, overseeing the spiritual needs of a group of believers. It takes a lot of work. Look at verse 29. What else? Verse 29, Paul says this, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. You ever wonder why there's so many... Um, uh, stone walls around all the fields in Ireland is to protect the flocks 
is to make it so that um, animals don't easily get in. That's the purpose of them. Some of them are also to, to loan, denote where your property line is. But uh, my older son, my oldest son got chickens a couple months ago. And he built a simple fence around there. I think he had seven or eight chickens. And one morning woke up and he had none. <laughs> Fox, foxes got in there and had a feast. He built higher fences, amen. Uh, the, the, the normal idea is, leave me alone, pastor, I'm fine. You're like those chickens. As a pastor, I sometimes come and I say, warning, build the wall higher. Stay away from the dangers. There is stuff in this Bible that warns us about things the world is comfortable with. The world doesn't think is any problem and you're buying into a lie that you can live any way you want and still go to heaven and be happy. You can't. There's a lot of dangers in Christianity today. We have attacks from outside, but the worst are from inside. From our own attitudes, our own spirit. It's happening all over the world. There are wolves that have taken over churches and denominations, poisoned the gospel, defiled the flock, and devoured the simple faith in Christ. There are people today who, because they watch some stupid YouTube, they put the Bible away. It says, I don't believe it anymore. There are, if you sat down and wanted to look out how to get saved, there's 300,000 different YouTubes telling you 300,000 ways to get saved today, poisoning the gospel, promoting woke theologies with women preachers and transgender teachers. They are mocking the Bible and destroying the faith from inside. Churches that 100 years ago preached the gospel, doesn't matter what was on the outside, Presbyterian, Methodist, they preached that men were lost and wicked and had no hope outside of Jesus Christ. Now, <laughs> it says church, but inside it's not a church. There's, there's a lot of dangers. Third thing, there's a lot of tears. Verse 31. Oh, I didn't read verse 30. Also of your own selves, out of our own group shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. That's what everybody wants. I want everybody to follow me on my YouTube, follow me on my Twitter, follow me in my religion. They're cursed. Verse 31, watch the tears. Therefore, watch, be aware, and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. You know, being a Christian, you say, wow, now that I'm saved, all my troubles are over. Right, Hannah? You know, you know I've been in the hospital, and next to each other, there's somebody saved, on the way to heaven, joyful, somebody else lost, angry at God, bitter, and they're both dying of cancer. Don't say just because you got saved, you won't get cancer, you won't have problems. You know, if you're saved, there are troublesome times you're going to go through. Just read church history. There's going to be loads of disappointments in the Christian life. Loads of them. You say, man, your God's not very powerful. Look at the kind of life. You don't even drive a new car. People judge one another by looks. You know, if you could see, you may see my car being a 2007, but my joy is eternal. There is something that's much better than all the things that the world puts on. Health problems, do not health problems affect Christians? They sure do. Now, we need to limit that by having a good diet, exercise, and so forth. But health problems come up, people getting upset and leaving, 
Churches, churches ought to be vibrant and strong, and yet everybody gets offended and off they go. Marriages, some of them don't work out. Children grow up, throw their life away, throw God away. Doesn't that grieve you? Doesn't that bring, there are tears in Christianity. Paul wasn't saying, now, man, now that we got a church, everything's great. No, no, he didn't say, I've warned you. Stuff is coming that'll hurt, and it'll drive you against each other, and it'll, it'll make it so that you're, you're struggling just to breathe. But aren't you glad that all of those tears are mixed with blessings? There's blessings being saved. Marriages have been saved. Teens did get saved this past year and got right and stayed pure for Christ. We see the miracles in the midst of all of the tears. Verse 32, he continues on. He says, and now, brethren, I commend you to God. I turn you over to him. I let go and to the word of his grace. What are you holding in your, by, in your hand? <laughs> what are you holding in your hand? The word of God's grace which is able to build you up, encourage you, and to give you an inheritance, we call them rewards, among all them which are sanctified, people in heaven. This is a wonderful old book, isn't it? This blessed old book that I hold in my hand, man, is true from beginning to end. This Bible is, is sufficient. This is... Paul said, you know what, throughout history, we don't need Apostle Paul's, we don't need Apostle Peter's, we don't even need Jesus Christ physically on this world walking around. We need a Bible. That book is all we need. We don't need a pope, we don't need monsignors or bishops or gurus. We need the Bible, amen? That's our sufficiency. What does Paul see out? He says, you'll be in good care if you'll just hold on to that Bible and just read that Bible and believe it and love it and do it. You know, this Bible gives you things that are better than any pension. Gives you better than any education, all the education of the world. Psalm 119 says, I know more on all my teachers because I keep thy precepts. I do what you say, and I end up smarter than all of my educated professors at university. And the last thing, look down there in verse 33. And he says these words, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Boy, I wish, I wish Joel Osteen would read that. Yeah. Kenneth Copeland, worth 500 million euros. You know, in this day and age, and I'm talking to us because we're just as sinful, we covet. Uh, every ad that you see targets our covetous nature of, I got to have that. And watch what he says. He said, I got over things. I, Paul says, I don't want anything that anyone else has. Look in verse 33. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities. Wait a minute. Who took care of Paul? <laughs> Who took care of Paul? Paul did. Paul said, I work to pay my own bills. These hands have ministered unto my necessities, and I worked to take care of them that were with me. Verse 35, I've showed you, I've given you an example. I've showed you all these things, how that so laboring, and that so is a big word, as really laboring, ye ought to support the weak, support those who can't take care of themselves, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, what did Paul see? He says, I know there's going to be a day, there's going to be a time where you Christians 
need to humble yourself and be givers. Now, when I say that, I'm just talking about money. Don't think about we're looking for money. Paul is saying that the greatest blessing in life is not when you get, it's when you give. Um, you know why you ought to get a job if you're not working? It's so you can give money away. Oh, I, I thought it was so that I could have fun. No. You've got to pay your bills. And yes, you've got to pay for the petrol in the car. And yeah, it's okay to buy some toys and do some things. But the greatest privilege you will ever have is to work a job and work hard enough so that there's money in your pocket to give away. Because what did the Bible say? It is more blessed to... Then to receive. Well, Pastor, I came to church today and I, I'm expecting a blessing. Well, amen. You know how to be get a blessing? Be one. Amen. amen. There's a need for us to be givers. I'll give you some examples. Look in chapter 24. 24 and 22. <clears throat> hmm, no. Let me see what I was thinking. That's not, don't forget that. <laughs> Ignore that. I was wondering where that came from. There's a little leprechaun that snuck in there somehow. All right, anyway, three examples. Can we not agree that it's obvious the greatest example of giving is Jesus? Jesus had the greatest joy ministering to and giving to countless numbers of people as he moved through crowds and through towns. When he would go into a town, he'd preach and then he'd help, wouldn't he? He was a giver. Now, wait, did he have a mansion? Did he have a bank account? Did he have a credit card? Did he, did he have a Revolut? Was he doing bank transfers? He had nothing but the clothes on his back, and yet he still found a way to give. He said, I don't have much money. You got time. You got health. You, I hope you have a heart. Jesus is our greatest example of being a giver, even though he had nothing. He owned nothing more than the clothes on his back, and yet he gave constantly every day to everyone he met. Another example, how about Paul? Paul seemed to believe that statement. He's reading there in Acts 20, verse 35, and he says, I've showed you, I've proved to you it is more blessed to give than to receive. Matthew 10, now I do want you to go back to Matthew chapter 10, in verse 8. Show you the scripture still holding your place in Acts, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 8. Matthew 10 and verse 8. Jesus told his disciples, he said this. Look at what his disciples were able to do. Go back to verse 5. Then twelve these twelve, these twelve men, remember they're apostles now. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not to the way of the Gentiles, not yet, into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. And then he goes on and he says, Go to the lost house of Israel. And then jump down to verse, uh, what was I saying? Verse 10, isn't it? 8. Heal the sick. They had the power to walk into a room, find somebody flat out with some illness, not able to get up, heal them, cleanse the lepers. Boy, that's getting intense. Raise the dead, cast out devils. I mean, what a gift. But go on, watch what he says. Freely you've received. Freely give. Isn't that awesome? Because you'll get blessed by being able to make a difference in somebody's life. Let me tell you, dear Christian, do you know why most Christians are absolutely most upset 
You're following the world's attitude. You're not happy. Nobody's happy at home. Nobody's happy at work. There's no joy. When we sing, you're barely raising your voice above a whisper. You know why? Because you're a taker. You're sucking in like a black hole. You've just been given and given and given, and you've never said, I'm going to give back. And that's our problem. Greatest examples, we could go on all day and all night who learn that giving is better. There is something healthy about giving. If all you do is make money and hoard it and accumulate it and keep it safe, which is not possible these days, well, you're digging your own grave. That's all you've, that's all you've done, and you'll never be happy. No one has ever been happy thinking I need a little more. Isn't that true? Just a little more, you'll never be happy. But those of us who have decided to live by the principle that's more blessed to give than to receive know that what little we have when we give it away comes back, at, back to us in buckets. <laughs> we all love receiving. Well, I think we all love Christmas. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody who says, I don't want anything for Christmas. You liar. Somebody fixes you a dinner saying, well, I'm happy. Amen. Hey. We, we do like a little bit of attention. We do like it when somebody thinks of us and gives to us. But according to the Bible, Jesus turns it around and says, as blessed as you are when somebody gives to you, you actually will be more blessed when you give to someone else. Jesus, the scientists in the last 20 or 30 years have discovered a drug in your brain called dopamine. Do you know what turns on dopamine more than getting all the gifts in the world? giving it is a scientific fact that you get a higher dopamine rush when you go out and you do something secretly and specially for somebody out of love not out of duty <laughs> no 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 i am not talking about christmas giving the curse of christmas giving because christmas giving generally should be called guilt giving most parents give to their kids out of guilt for the lack they spent any time with them this year. So they know that, you know, and I think I spent all of about 12 hours with my son, so I better buy him the biggest Xbox there is. That's what goes on in people's minds, and you know it. And you will spend thousands of euros to try to offset the fact that you didn't spend more than a few minutes with them every day. That's called guilt giving. You'll give to your spouse, oh, honey, I did this just for you. Your spouse, all they wanted was you. Amen. That's not giving, it's owning. When you join the massive crowds in order to search for and find and pay a large amount of money to buy something to give to somebody they will only appreciate for an hour, that's your helping corporate instead of them. And I call it abuse. Paul defines giving, real giving, as you doing something for those who can never give back. Amen. You know, if you do something for your wife or you do something for your husband, if you give, you never think of anything coming back. Now, it's nice when they give back, amen? But if they don't, you've given. And if you will do it, See if you're doing it under the Lord Jesus. If you'll do it because he has given you so much, there is a, a healthy change that happens in your life. 
when something, even money, is just given away. And I wish I could convince you there is a joy of having a bit of money in your pocket or in your purse that when you see a need, when there is something that comes up, somebody else, and you just reach in there and says, here. Or you put an envelope and just put it in their Bible, or you just take care of some need, or you just take somebody for, for lunch, and they just feel loved. That is giving. And we don't do it. Not enough. When you sacrifice your time for another person, believe me, they know it. But you get a better blessing. I just wish that you and I would seek to explore the blessings of giving at Christmas. See, you're going to be driven. You've already got all your plans of what you're going to buy for Christmas. And I'm trying to stop you and shake you to the core and go, am I giving or am I owing? Am I owing? Am I, do, I, do I need to fix something in my heart so that I get the better blessing? So that when I sit down at Christmas, there's joy because we've all given. One of the neatest things we learned, my kids, well, I gave all of my kids a bit of money, not much. And I says, now you get to use that money to buy for your brothers and sisters. And they didn't get 300 euros each. No, no, no. I got 50 euros or whatever. And it was, I mean, the girls would go into Claire's. And they start picking out all the earrings for a euro each. <laughs> the guys would go and buy jacks. It wasn't the size of the gift. It was the joy that the kids were learning to give. Amen? To give. You never lose when you give yourself and your time away for someone else. Go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. You'll see where I'm going with this in a moment. But I hope you're in a conviction today. Man, I wonder if I need to reevaluate my Christmas list. Yes! Now you're getting it. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Guess what happens? Take and you'll get more. Is that what it says? Read the Bible for what it doesn't say. Get and you'll get more. Is that, what it, is that how we live? Yes. What does the Bible say? Give and it shall give, be given unto you. Oh, good measure. We always worry. Well, if I give this, then I probably get nothing back. It's always a nightmare when you have one of those um, sharing, you know, times where you give, you buy a gift for somebody else and they buy a gift for somebody else. And then you exchange and you went and you spent 30 euros. And you bought something really nice and you give it away and then they give you something for three. That's not giving. You get the joy of giving because you spent that 30 to be a blessing to somebody. Give and it shall be given unto you. If they may not give, God will. Good measure, press down. I like that. When you, when you make a cake or whatever, you, 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 you put the flour into a, 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 a sifting cup and you, you tap it on the, on the table and that, that flour goes down and you add some more. And God, when he begins to bless you, he kind of taps your life and he says, we're making room for more. And God just blesses you with probably not money, but with a lot more joy than you can handle. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men even give into your bosom. For with the same measure, ladies and gentlemen, that ye meet, that you measure with all, it shall be measured to you again. Oh, that we would explore the blessing of given, giving. So, if you want to be blessed, if you want to know joy, if you want to have a sense of worth and accomplishment as a Christian, bless someone else.
do something that just makes somebody else feel loved. Some people are unlovely, amen? I've always wanted to have a foot washing ceremony just to find out how humbled we can go. Because when you serve the unlovely, you're giving. Bless someone else, someone who's weak, someone who's just comes in and they've just had an awful week or an awful month. And just bless them. Be a friend. Be an older brother. Be, be something that they're missing in their life. How about working a job? <laughs> Do you know how to be blessed? Work a job. Take your Bible, turn to Ephesians 4. Go now to Ephesians chapter 4. Listen to the advice that Paul gives to those who used to be thieves and used to only be looking at taking. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28. But him that stole... <clears throat> Do you, do you have a little problem with always coveting and taking, taking from mom's purse, stealing from the boss, stealing from the company, stealing from your neighbor? I don't know what you may have done. Let him that stole, stop it. Steal no more. But rather, what should you do? Let him labor. What does that mean? Get a job. Get a job. Working with his hands, the thing, the thing that, which is good. Why? Why labor? that he may have something to give him to him that needeth. The whole purpose is to quit thinking of yourself and start blessing because the thief will get more out of giving away than getting. Amen. Work a job. Should I get a better job? Yes, you should. And you should give more money away. That's how Christians change the world, not by accumulating, but by giving. Give your life away. Yeah, you can give your money away, but <laughs> sometimes money is a cheap excuse so that you don't have to do anything. Well, pastor, I'll put my offering in, but don't ask me to do anything else. You haven't given anything then. The uh, Bible tells us to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. He doesn't want you dead. He just wants your life. Give your life away. Invest your talents in time in, oh, go back, in church ministries. That's the whole reason why we do stuff. So you ever wonder, why does pastor have such a busy schedule? It's for you. It's for you to have something to do so that our world sees Christians. So they see what it's like when we have bad days, when we're tired, and they see us serving, and they see us giving, and they see us sacrificing, and they go, so that's what a Christian does. That's how a Christian lives. Invest your time and talent in church ministries and quit hiding behind the pew. I know we don't have pews. <laughs> Start serving. Get involved in a ministry if you want to be blessed. So let's get to the point. What are we going to try to attempt in 2023? It's all going to be by the grace of God. I mean, we have no idea what's ahead, do we? Amen. Did we learn that in 2020? I have no idea, and if the trumpet sounded right now and I went home, I would be happy as Larry. I'd be happier than Larry. But if we're going to be here for a little while longer, I might as well have a plan. Might as well have some things for all of us to do. And I do mean we. You know, we're supposed to be a body of believers. We're supposed to be an assembled group of transformed lives 
who are reflecting the grace of God to a world that's lost without Christ. We're supposed to be a body. A church is not a place for individuals just to come and hide. Come and sit in the back. I'm looking at the back. <laughs> a church, listen to this, is an opportunity. That's why you join church, because you want to be part of something. You want to have an opportunity to serve. Some people come to church and they just, I understand, they just sit and they're trying to soak it in because they need it. But at some point, they've got to hear a voice that says, get moving. Start doing. If you've been encouraged and blessed and given to, it's time for you to say, I have every spiritual blessing. I have been taken care of. I've been loved. I need to start loving. <clears throat> you know what we're able to do? Give something back. Do you ever felt that? I get to give something back. I am watching a generation of, 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 I thought spoiled brats were normal 20 years ago. These are the worst spoiled brats I've ever seen in my life. And we need to make sure it's not in our heart because the kids are reflecting the parents. To give something back. So what are we going to attempt for this new year. We're going to move. We're going to finish the book of Romans in the next few weeks. We're going to get to chapter 29. You know there's no chapter 29. We've finished verse by verse. We've gone through this amazing book. But in January, we're going to look at the book of Romans. We're going to go verse by verse and learn solid, absolute truths that will change your view on yourself. Change your view of God. It will teach you about our culture, where it came from and where it's going. It'll teach us about our calling, about our relationship with God and his relationship with us. Romans is the fundamental book for the growing Christian to be solid so the world can't sway you. I'm asking you to be committed to being here on Sunday mornings. Don't be like your grandpa's old jalopy car that started, or maybe it's your car now, that would start and stop and you had to just abandon it and wait for the mechanic to fix it so you could run it for two weeks before he died. Don't be a start and stop Christians that's here. Half the time during the year, you will miss. Did you know you will miss so much from this book? And the truth is, the, the, the meetings that you miss will be the ones you needed the most. You remember that. I'm calling it, the just shall live by faith. How do you do that? How do you live by faith? But that's... The statement of Romans 1.17, the Christian lives by faith. Secondly, we're going to develop all Christians into disciplers. I have a burden to train everyone in this room to be able to answer the problems of life from the scriptures. I want you just to come to church to get a, you know, a little bit of, of truth. I want you to be able to get into the Bible yourself and sit down and go, I've got an answer now. Now I've got another answer. Now I've got a truth. Now I've got an encouragement. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is learning how to learn from Jesus. Our teachers, when I was a kid, the purpose of a teacher was to teach us to think, to teach us to question. To, they taught us to learn. They just didn't tell us what to think. Boy, these days, C-A-T, cat. I didn't learn anything. But when somebody said, Oh, I learned something. I learned phonics. I learned sounding out. I learned, okay, I can, I can take apart a long word and sound it out. I can say the word. 
I can learn it. I want to teach you how to think, folks. I want to teach. I don't want to tell you what to believe. This book will tell you what to believe. Amen. So here on Sunday mornings, we have a great group. There's about 15, 16 of us here. Well, I want that to grow. We still have time if you want to come in and, and join in. We're still on lesson one, but we're doing discipleship on Sunday mornings at 945. And in a few months, we'll bring in a new crew and it'll be awesome. Another thing we want to do this next year is I want to, boy, more than ever, focus on our men to be Christian leaders. Ladies may not understand it, but the greatest calling a man has is to be a godly leader in their home. Even if you're not married, God's trying to prepare you to be a godly man in your home. Because that is where all of the battles are lost, folks, with the kids and with the future. We need some godly men and Christian leaders in this world. I'm sick and tired of trying to choose which is which of our TDs I need to vote for of the bottom. I'd like somebody to get into politics with a, with a strong backbone and have an influence. They may not get elected the first 10 times, but I'll stand with somebody who will try to lead right. Amen. And that's what this church is for. Church is not so that you just come and sit. It's come and serve so that maybe you can learn something and go out and serve in the doll. Amen. Isn't that awesome? I grow our men into Christian leaders. Folks, I can't keep doing what I do every year. I'm getting tired. Without some help. I just know this, the work's got to keep going. I look at some of this stuff. These last two years, man, I look at this and I go, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know. I told Nita, I said, I'm tired. But I want to keep going. So I need you, gentlemen. You know what I'll get? If I ask for volunteers to come help with the Bible club, I'll get 15 women and two guys. Now, I understand sometimes everybody's very busy, but there'll be eight that are just sitting at home on Netflix. Shame on you. Amen. I need men. Because this is a body. It's not just Pastor Craig's church, I thought. Let me show you Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17. I'll build this a little bit further. Exodus, Genesis, then the book Exodus, chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17 says there in verse 8, Now Israel, the nation of Israel, has come out of Egypt. They've gotten into the wilderness, the desert of Sinai, and they're walking through there, and an enemy attacks called the Amalekites. In verse 8, it says this, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in a place called Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, who was his general, he said, choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Get down there and, and stop them from attacking our people. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. If you understand the purpose of that rod, that rod was to show that God's promises are true and there's no power in the rod. But as he held up that rod, it was a testimony, God will take care of us. He said, I'll have the rod of God in my hand. Uh, verse um, ten, 10, so Joshua did as Moses said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and a guy named Hur. How would you like to Mrs. Mrs. Smith marry Hur? <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Hur. But anyway, Hur, H-U-R. That was this guy's name. 
Aaron and her went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel did what? They defeated, they were defeating the enemy. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. All right, so what do you got? This is what you've got. Moses' hands were heavy. Now, you may think this piece of paper is very light. All right, that's nothing. Hold it for 10 minutes there. Hold it for 15 minutes. You heard about the guy who was doing exercises. He got a 10-pound bag, a bag of, uh, uh, a bag of 10-pound potatoes. And he would every morning get up, and he would hold it out of his hands for 10 minutes, and he'd put them down. After three weeks, he put potatoes in them. <laughs> the truth is, you hold something out, it doesn't have any weight. Oh, it's so easy to hold, it's so easy to hold. Hold it there for a while. As Moses is holding up those arms and that hand and holding up that rod, his hands got tired, and when they would start to sink, and he would get weary, and he was saying, I got to sit down. Aaron came up under one side, and Ur came up on the other side and held him up and said, keep those hands up. Joshua's down there. All of those soldiers are down there. They're looking up, and they need to see you praying. They need to see that rod up there. They need to be reminded that God is still there. God is on their side. Verse um, 12, but Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Ur stayed up his hands. The one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek. That means he defeated him and his people with the edge of the sword. I like that. <clears throat> verse 11, uh, sorry, um, uh, verse 12. But Moses, uh, sorry, so, uh, verse 13. And Joshua, uh, verse, I'm talking where? No, that was all I want to read. I thought it was more. Every church needs men like Aaron and Hur. Would you agree? I need men like that. I don't need butterflies and unicorns, okay? I need godly men who will stand with me and work with me and get the job done. Amen. That's what I see in 2023, work. <laughs> and I want to win more people to Christ. Does anybody yearn to see souls saved? Anybody wonder, why is it so hard? I can't, I can't figure out why people are getting harder and harder. I just know they need to get saved, amen? I just know I was a hard case and somebody kept working on me and somebody kept inviting me and somebody kept praying for me and somebody kept preaching to me and it took time until the penny dropped and I went, I'm lost. I'm in trouble. I want to win some people to faith in Christ. We need to keep this the main thing. We cannot just come to church and go home. We've got to go home with a burden saying, I got people at the, at the job who I'm never even attracted to. Jesus said in Luke 14, he said, gave a parable of a man who had a very big house, full spread of food, and nobody was in it. And he sent the servant out, and he says, go and invite people. And there were people who says, ah, I'm too busy. Oh, I've just got married. On and on and on. And he said to the servant, he said, go out into the highways and hedges. Now think about that for a minute. It's one thing to stop somebody on the highway. <laughs> Would you like dinner? It's another to go looking in the hedge. Hey, 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 don't hide. If you're in the hedge, you're hiding. <laughs> Come on, there's free dinner for you. Go out to the furthest place and find somebody and bring them in. Get everybody saved. Isn't that awesome? I need your help. I can't just keep giving out tracts. There's, there's guy back there at the back. I won't mention his name. He just had a birthday yesterday. 
he gets out, he's got a goal, he's giving out a track every day, and he does it. Can we not all do that? Saturdays, we go out, we're closing down for the winter here, but we go out on Saturdays for an hour or so. Fridays, we go into Cork City and talk to people straight up about their soul. You've never had more fun than standing next to Weston giving the gospel to somebody. I'm burdened that 2023 we would win more people to Christ, not to religion. I don't care. Listen, I only care about one thing, their soul. Can we not all care about that? How about training more of you to teach the Bible? You know, a great teacher is only great if they have something to teach. I think we have something great to teach, don't we? So I'm already on my way to being a great teacher. You just need some confidence built in and some teaching and some encouraging because I'd like to have I'd like to have a second children's church class I'd like you don't know what my plans are <laughs> I'd like us to start up a teen group again I'd like us to have a college career group again but you can't have things without teachers without people who are dedicated to ministering and giving back I also want to start up a choir we've got an ensemble how many I mean I'm drooling waiting for the next time that they sing but when I got saved, the first time I came into church and I sat down, I came in and the half the three quarters of the pews were empty. And they were all up at the front in the choir. And at 11 o'clock or whenever church started, I remember it was 1030, 11 o'clock when church started, hundred his church had a 250 in it and 150 were in the choir. When the choir began to sing, I came unglued. I'd never heard anything that good. And I've been to rock concerts. I had music out the wazoo. But when I heard them sing, it was like heaven. I said, I got to come back. A choir can help, amen. And they did it without the blinky lights. They did it without the drum set, the bass guitars. They did it with a couple of guitars, string guitars and a piano and 150 voices. That's what I'd like in 2023, amen. Also, we might need to start planning on buying another building. Now, we may not be able to ever buy it in one year, two years, but don't you think we ought to start planning? Amen. Because once you start filling up a place, you need to get something bigger. There are other areas of ministry. How about thinking about meeting people at the front door? Pastor, is, 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 is that a ministry? That's a... A lot of people have said the reason why they got comfortable coming to church because somebody met up at the door and welcomed them. I've been to churches where you kind of, you have to find your way. You're, 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 you're finding a seat and you find out you're in somebody's seat and you have to move over. And it's, you just feel so unwelcome. That's a ministry and that makes a huge difference. Uh, we got building projects. We have some things coming up. You don't, you don't realize what fun it is to dream. We have some building projects in 2023 that are going to knock your socks off. Um, I just need helping hands and expertise. Would you help with our Patrick's Day Parade? It's coming up in March. We need at least 50, 60 people to walk through the parade. This year, we've got, we're going to be building a, a space station. We're going to have a giant spaceman spud going through Bally College. Announcing our Bible club. Resurrection Sunday, I want to build a huge empty tomb on the other side of our fence 
with a stone that rolls away. In the words, Jesus is not here. He's alive forevermore. And it's going to be beautiful getting ready for Resurrection Sunday. Our men's retreat, man, there's, there's stuff in getting ready for that, helping out. You don't realize how precious it is, not just to go and sit and learn, but to help in teaching, preaching, ministry. Our 29th anniversary, we have a dozen people who are coming from the United States in June to help with our anniversary. They just want to be a blessing to us. Isn't that cool? We're going to turn it into a big evangelism blitz. We're just going to go soul winning. And I want all of us involved. I don't want just them involved. I want us involved. Victory Youth Camp. My goodness. Bible Club. I wonder if we could have as great a Bible camp this year as we did last year. I think we can. So do you think you could help? Could you come out from behind the pew? But you know, if you, don't, if you don't make up your mind about what you're going to do with your time, the devil will. This is your church, right? I know you're all super busy and the devil will keep you that way until you finally make some decisions. And I know some of you already help. We have people who actually come in, they volunteer, and they hoover. Nobody else knows, but they're every week going up and down. They come in. I have two different people coming in because there's... Especially during the winter, there's muck and stuff. And hoover up, clean up, clean the toilets. But those few are not enough. If you enjoy clean toilets, maybe you might ought to volunteer and help out. Because there are some Saturdays I get in here and they've not been cleaned and I have to do it. I don't mind doing it. You know, I love cleaning a toilet. You have no idea. It's not a demeaning thing for me. But I get tired. And some of you don't know the blessing of doing something for somebody without them even knowing it. You know, there's a lot of work for all, us to do, for all of us to do in this church. There's a lot of praying we need to do on Wednesday evenings. You know, we're missing the blessedness of giving our time, our heart, our monies, our talents, our lives to something that matters. And this church, I'll tell you this, will die. If we're not careful, if we... If we leave things to someone else to do, this church will die. If this hand just drops and just lays there and will not respond to my needs, it affects the whole body, doesn't it? And when more and more of me start shutting down and it's just my right foot that's doing all of the work, <laughs> I'm going to starve. And a body needs everybody. Now, I'm going to ask, where's my guys? Who has those leaflets? Uh, Bill and Gavin. These things you do not have to give back to me. I couldn't care less if I get them back. But if you will take a look at it, and if you want to, put your name on it and say, you know, I've thought about some of these things. And I'm going to put it in the green box this week, next week. I don't know. I don't, it, the whole point is for you to look at. There are things for you to get involved in. And if you'd like, I will contact you and say, if you want to, you can start on this day, and this is what I'll show you how to do. But just take a look at that, put it in your Bible, and, and then think about, I wonder if I could do this and this and this so that we all are doing something. While they're handing that out, let me finish with the conclusion. Jesus said this in John 15, 3, Without me, you can do nothing. That doesn't mean you can't go to work and you can't have a family and you can't drive the car. 
but you can do nothing that matters. Nothing can be done of eternal value without salvation. Jesus is the one who said you must be born again. And you know what else we need? We need the filling of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know what it means to be filled with anger? How many of you know at Christmas what it means to be filled with food? What would it be like if we were all desiring to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God? And folks, let me tell you, nothing will be done. No one will get served. No one will be loved. And there will be no giving like we should until our pride is broken. You know, when Jesus Christ becomes Lord of your life, He decides what happens every day. He decides who you minister to and what it costs. You don't, you don't get to negotiate. Your pride is the biggest, biggest barrier between you and being blessed in giving. Question is this, are you even saved? If not, God has already given his best to you. Do you know that? God's not up there in heaven saying, expecting, all right, I expect you to do all this work. No, God first gave, didn't he? We love him, 1 John 4 says, because he first loved us. I, I do something for him because he did everything for me. You say, why are you so caught up in this Jesus guy? Because he's Jesus. Because of what he did for me. And I'm asking you, will you, you've, some of you, I don't know if you're saved or lost, I don't know, you come to church, but will you finally today get saved? You finally say, man, somebody's been working hard at trying to chip away at my hard heart. Today, it's, going to, it's actually going to work. Let's bow and let's bow and, and, and close our eyes in prayer. Just sitting there right just for a moment before we stand. Father, we bow our heads. And on this day, it's not a normal service. But it's, it's a necessary thing because we as a church need to have kind of a family time, a, a meeting where we talk about what we're going to do next year. How are we going to get all of us involved? I know there are going to be people whom the devil already has in their grip. They're going to shut down, pull away. Don't let that happen, dear God. Thankfully, even when everybody walked away from you, you stayed the course. May we take that example and say, I'm going to stay the course. I, I just want to keep going. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Help us to get back to loving one another, serving one another, and turning our world upside down. That's what we're here for. We're not supposed to just come and sit. We're here because you've invited us to come and serve. If there's somebody who's not saved today, may they finally and fully cry out to you and say, God, you win. I need Jesus. I've been trying to be good all my life, and it's got me nowhere. Please save my soul. Lord, I just give you my life. If, you'd, if you gave me your life on that cross, I will give you my life back because I love you and because I just, I just want to give something back. If you gave me the gift of eternal life, how can I withhold all other gifts? So bless your people today as we sing this next hymn in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand.